Hello and welcome to Bluebells Forever, a podcast with interviews of Bluebell dancers past and present. Join Sherry Lewis, a Bluebell herself, as she leads us on a journey through story and experience. And now here's Sherry. So I am interviewing Steve Edge and you reached out to me because of my interview with Jeremy and found out we have so many cross connections of uh, people that we've worked together with and uh, a little bit of uh, history that um, overlaps. The words are not working for me right now. I had so much fun talking to you before and now I'm like, <laughs> can, you, can you tell like how, like when you started listing who you know that we know through not from Bluebells, can you just go into that? Like how you ended up knowing these people too. Yeah, so when I started my career when I was 18, I went to LA and was on scholarship at Edge. And so when that, that scholarship year was Sean and Lisa Frazier, who were on scholarship from Westlake with me. So that's how, and then of course, Alicia, when Alicia came, she was always, every scholarship year always has kind of those extra added people that are, you know, and Alicia was one of those for us. Alicia should have been on scholarship. So there was that, we got to know Westlake through them. And then with me going on tour with LEDS, I would go to Seattle, of course, and then that's how I met Dom, Dominic, and Sari, who we talked about them moving out. I think I helped kind of encourage Sari to get her butt out because we were going to live together, and we, it was all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. So then that's how I basically know all those people from Westlake, because I lived with two and was on scholarship with two, and, and, at, and really, Edge and Westlake is very close it's, it's a close connection because of all of the dancers who have come out of your studio and work professionally in LA. So there's a really good connection between those two studios. So it was just kind of natural really to know all those people, but it's crazy to me because like we were talking before, I knew you back then during my edge years and then through Sari and Dom and all those people, but I, I didn't know what, Bluebell was or what all those shows were, the Lido or Jubilee. I had no idea what those shows were at that point in my career. And to go full circle around to have known you then and now to know that you were part of that whole world, it's just such an awesome circle to know that you are similar to me. You have your LA experience as well as that connecting music hall world. Yeah. yeah. So you went to LA not to be a showboy. No. You, that world was not even anywhere no, I was going to be an L.A. commercial dancer. That's all I wanted to do. So when I was 16, I, had, I got my first Tremaine scholarship. So I was there over the summer at the studio. That's when I got to start really knowing, knowing people. And then that following year, I got another scholarship to do. It was the national scholarship, so I could go to all the conventions for free. And that's kind of when their assistant program started to kind of pick up. We were not official assistants. We were basically like, roadies like groupies one of the people that used to call us tremaniacs so like katie tate was in that group and jason vital was in that group carlin daly who's my best friend she was in that group so there was that whole and so when when tremaine ended and i was in la thinking i was going to be on scholarship at tremaine the studio closed and i had to make a quick change of where am i going to go and that's what brought me to edge and that's what brought me to that whole experience of la dance force and and all that kind of stuff yeah so it's a full circle. It's a great full circle. So you, I know like a lot of our dancers went down to take class. They weren't necessarily like, I'm going to be a professional dancer. They, a lot of them went to LA because they had been exposed to that kind of training that was serious. And you're in there with people that are working 
they're there. They're going to sacrifice and live in LA, even if they love it or hate it, they're going to be down there because of classes. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. was your intention like, I'm going to be a professional dancer or did you go for classes? I wanted to be a dancer. That's all I wanted to be. I wanted to be a dancer. And I, and I didn't want to be a New York dancer. I didn't want to do Broadway. That's why I refused. I had a four, full four-year scholarship to go to Tisch that I refused to go to LA and not go to school and do the scholarship programs. I didn't want anything other than being a commercial dancer. That's all I knew. And I was very lucky at a young day, as a young dancer, getting to be as close to the people at Tremaine as I got to be, that's what made me have a career. That, and I'll always say, Joe Tremaine is the reason I'm a dancer because Joe Tremaine was the person who gave me my first scholarship. If he hadn't done that, I would have never been anything. So, um, yeah. So what got so you into the other world? Because to go, I'm going to LA and now I'm gonna go to Paris and do this. I always feel like the journey there is never a straight line. <laughs> it's true. It's just never really a straight line. And I'm so thankful. I mean, I needed to have that break from, from being in that whole environment of Hollywood, which is so crazy. Being like we were talking about before, we were young dancers being exposed to a lot of crazy things. And I needed a break from all of that. So I went on ships and, and, and it ended up being an amazing experience. And it was through being on ships that I was working with dancers at the Moulin Rouge in Paris, who started that whole kind of uh, avalanche to learning about all those shows. So I ended up not going to the Mulan because I wanted to continue doing ships. I was having so much fun. But from ships that I went to directly into Jubilee, which brought me to that world. And then I was in Jubilee from Jubilee to Paris. So that was such a, it was such a, a crazy, unexpected end to my career to be a showboy. I mean, I didn't even know what that was. I, had, I literally <laughs> had no idea what a showgirl was other than feathers. Right, and a terrible movie, but that was before all that. Yeah. <laughs> did you, what did you even know cruise ships? Was that, because I know they go to LA and I've heard it's really hard to get dancers out of LA and New York because they don't want to leave because they are- Yeah, well, my generation, like we were talking about before, in my generation, there were two things that were not looked up positively upon in Hollywood. It was cruise ships and Disney. So it was, if we were going, and, and those are obviously great jobs. There was nothing wrong with those jobs. But for whatever reason, that was not the reason we went to, to Hollywood. You did not go to Hollywood to get a job on a cruise ship or to move to, to go to Disney. You were there to be a commercial dancer, work gig, get dance behind artists, do that whole thing, that whole whatever. Um, so I ended up going on cruise ships because my initial... Other than Sari and Dom, my other group of friends, Hollywood friends, started to kind of disperse. And there was one girl, Andrea, she was going to be going on a ship. And she and I in our little group were a subgroup that were really close. And she was going, to, she was going on ships. And I thought, well, I want to go on ships. If she, I, I, our other friends have done things together. I want to go do something with this friend. So we kind of started to go along that. She was going to go similar to you. She was ending up to go on one ship. I was going on another. So we weren't in the end working together. It was actually great because she, on her way walking up the dock, she got a phone call from her agent that she had gotten a Cats tour. So this she reversed right back down. But it was for her that she, that I did ships. I would have never done ships had it not been for us thinking, oh, that'd be really fun to do that for just a break, just for a break. It was yeah. never gonna be, and actually this is funny as well, I loved Hollywood. I loved my life in Hollywood. It, I loved Edge, I loved LADF, I loved the whole thing about living in Hollywood. And that literally was supposed to be just a break. And I remember on that airplane crying as I took off to go to Miami to go on that ship. And I said out loud, out the window, I'll be back. And I never went back. It took my really? career all the time, just never, I never went back. Yeah. 
Which, who, what cruise line did you work for? Which producer? So it was Jean Ann. It was Jean Ann, and that was with the um, NCL. So I was always NCL with her. Yeah. The NCL, that's we have all these overlaps. Yeah. Yeah. And I did the, the Norway was my first ship. Then I was on the Dream for a while, and then I went on to the Star. So I did three different ships. But I actually was, I'm an all or nothing kind of girl. So I was really stupid. All you kids out there that want to do cruise ships, don't do this because it will drive you mad. I literally went back to back contracts. So by the time I was done, I basically did three years. I was also going, there was a period when I was on one of the ships that I was going back to stage the shows and then coming back and being in the show. Um, but I literally did three years straight. Oh my God. And it was the stupidest thing. It was oh, like intense, talking about intense. Yeah. Well, I think there's a time, like I did six months and then they, you could do a month by month renewal. Mm -hmm. I kind of started to go, I, I have to get off of here. And then I yeah. feel like people hit that. And if they stay on, then, then you're on for a really long time. If you kind of yeah. get past, go past that first hump and get off. But I know a lot of people go on to ships because you can save a lot of money. Like if you're living in LA and that's a lot of times the intention, which I didn't save a penny because I played hard, but I know that. that <laughs> I, I saved a thousand dollars in three years. Your food is paid for, everything's paid for, but I'm like, I'm in St. Thomas. I'm going to rent a horse. I'm going to go do this. I would just, I, go, I don't know if I'm ever going to get to have this life again. So instead of saving, I'm like, I did the same thing in Bermuda. I could have saved money, but I'm like, I may never come back here. I'm going to experience everything, which I still prefer that. I'm glad I chose that, but a cruise ship life. Right. Here. Yours was much produ more productive though. Mine was not doing those things. Mine went to my bar tab. <laughs> yes, yes. Most of our cast, and I didn't really drink that much, but I know like I'm I'm working to pay for my alcohol after yeah. that. <laughs> uh huh. That's exactly what. And that's, that's exactly And that's a good thing people need to know if you do cruise ships. Is there is you know you're you're on there. That's your whole life, and so yes. you think you're really disciplined and wow. So what? So then you went to. Jubilee, because someone there had told you, did you audition? Did you go well, to I was actually in a relationship with somebody, um, and he was the one that was good friends with Kat Mayer, Catherine. So she was already well established as a showgirl here, and she was retired at this point. But, um, and they were very close. They're like basically like brother and sister. They were very, very close. And so I met her through him. And as we got off the ship together, we moved here to, to because. We knew about it through ships and being with people who had been in Jubilee as well. Catherine, she also was the one that got us the audition with Fluff, the private audition with Fluff. So um, she was always, she's always actually been since my whole showboy part of my career, my little guardian angel. She just always like taps and helps me out with things. But um, that's how we ended up going into Jubilee. That's, I mean, that was the progress from Jubilee. It, it was, ships were over. I was getting off with my boyfriend at the time. He also went into Jubilee as well. He stayed longer than I did as well in Jubilee. And then I left and went to Paris pretty quickly. Wow. Because that's a very, I mean, critics have their wonderful thing of, you know, those, they're not the biggest stage. So you go from that and now you're like in Vegas, which is a whole yeah. different how was that transition for you? Well, and it's interesting to say though, when, and I remember when I went on cruise ships, knowing the mentality that I had because I was an LA dancer, it, those shows are hard as hell. I mean, yeah. those shows are not for the lighthearted. You work your ass off. I mean, 
and as well, those shows, especially now, are book shows. I mean, Gene Antwerp, you know, the career she was doing, the, uh, my career she was doing those book shows. So we were doing Andrew Lloyd Webber musicals, and they were actually coming on and teaching us. So they were actually, like, proper shows. And I mean, as well, the amount of technology that they have in the shows. By the time I left, it was pretty kick-ass. It, wasn't, it was a maybe smaller stage, but what could be done on that stage was pretty yeah. incredible. And then, of course, we went to Jubilee into that ginormous... I mean, what it, I used to do the, the tours as well. What was it? I think you could put us from one side of the wing to the other. You could put a 747 ship. I mean, I went from this tiny little stage to this thing. This just massive. Did you enjoy the dancing as much? You know, because sometimes people are like, oh, I kind of don't want to have to work that hard as I did on the ship. Or like, I kind of miss that. Feeling. With the ship? When, when, with the ship? Like going from a ship to Jubilee, like a production number. Did you feel like you were challenged as a dancer? the same way no well no no for sure and 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 that's only being because of where i came from as a, from hollywood because i was hardcore like all of those kids were we we're all very very like the harder it is the better it is like the more sweat that's poured out of my body the better we did so for sure and when i was still on cruise ships i was still that la dancer i hadn't evolved yet i was still i still had that mentality so when i became a showboy that was definitely a big oh because it was just the even, especially in Jubilee, the choreography was so dated. And then, and to maybe an LA dancer, that sounds bad, but to the beauty and the history of it all, it's phenomenal because it held those keys, and that's what made it so magical. Was was that it was so classic, but um, it was definitely a big shock. And of course, that was also my first time. No, that's not true. My second time being bottom, bottomless, my scholarship show, this is, this is a funny side note story like we had talked about. In my scholarship show at Edge, we had to wear, we had to do the village people thing and I had to wear G-string. I went into Bill's office and complained about having to wear a G-string. I said, I'm not gonna wear a G-string. My family's gonna see this. I was, <laughs> who would have thought that the majority of the rest of my career would have been me in G-strings? <laughs> that's, that's basically it. But anyway, going back, when I went to do the Jubilee, the big thing for Jubilee passed the choreography, which maybe wasn't the most challenging choreography, but intricate a lot and very specific. But that was the first time I actually had to officially work in a G-string. And mm -hmm. that was, I mean, just like girls that go topless. It, that was a thing all in its own. Coming as a Hollywood dancer to being a boy in a G-string all of a sudden, saying, yeah. hey there, hey there, Samson. <laughs> <laughs> So it was, a, it was a big shock. It was a big shock. But a positive shock, though. Yeah, well, I think there's that whole thing of being the precision. Like, it makes you a, a working dancer mm -hmm. to people for commercial work. Like, you can't just go do what you do in class. You have to be able to fit and take correction and have clean line. And I feel like there is that benefit of those shows that you can take into the commercial world in a different way. Yeah. And it's important of those shows as well because... It, it shows dancers and shows producers and whatever that what, you, what has longevity and what you can do. You, a lot of the choreography isn't as hard as another show, but that's because we're doing two shows a night, six days a week. And yeah. maybe we're not being injured by the choreography necessarily, but we're being injured because we're walking up. I counted, we had to do, when we were at Jubilee, there were so many injuries. HR made us count our step. Uh, they, they, we were getting in trouble for having so many people out on injury. So we were required to count our steps in the show. And for me, in one of my hard shows, I did 1,600 steps in one show. Oh and, my God. 
and then and that's a boy that's a boy that's a boy with just suits on and of course my suits were very heavy because of all the mirrors and the rhinestones i mean there's one that was like 10 pounds but with girls they're walking up two flights of stairs every time big steps with headpieces weighing them down backpacks weighing them down and they did just as many steps as we did so yeah. the choreography wasn't necessarily hard that was the aspect of hard because of all the back back stuff but that show ran for 30 something years because the longevity was able to by not overfilling with too much work. Yeah, you want to keep your dancers around a while if you're going to be putting all that money in the show. So what, how, what was your thing for Paris? Like, hey, I want to go do this or was it another one? Like there's opportunity that you didn't know. Was when I was a kid, when I was a kid, my, I was very weird. And like a, before I was a dancer, I was obsessed with France for some reason, the castles, the food. I never had been there, but for some reason I was obsessed with France. So when I found out about the Lido toward the, toward when it actually was becoming something, it wasn't necessarily me getting to go to the Lido because again, even though I was at Jubilee and I had heard the stories about the Lido, I still didn't know the level that it was or the importance that it was in French culture overall. I, I didn't know any of that stuff. So, um, um, where was I at with Jubilee? But um, I heard, had heard about that show and it was just kind of time for me to take that progression. And I was so excited, not necessarily because I was going to be a dancer at Lido, but I was going to be able to live in France. That was the thing. And Paris. so then once I got to live in France and then I started to realize everything that that show was and that not even the show, everything that that building is, that's when... You know, it changed from being just about living in Paris to being a part of the Lido. And really, and for me, and I've had a, very, I've had a great career, and I've, I've, I've done everything that I wanted to do, and I've seen all sorts of realms of the business. For me, the greatest time ever was Toledo. And I mean, hands down. So thank God I ended up there because those, the memories and everything about that experience, I think about it every day, every day, literally. <laughs> literally, it's been yeah. years. I think about it every day. Because also, like we, you were saying earlier, like how we kind of think of the sh that show, that production feather thing as being a Vegas thing, but it was didn't start there. Like no. So the history of Vegas, 101, bam. bam. So Vegas would have been nothing. Vegas had, it had the, um, what is, why can't I think of the word? Um, da, 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 da. Strippers? Not strippers. The the beginning version of strippers. Why can't uh, burlesque. Like burlesque? So burlesque was already in Vegas. Burlesque was already in Vegas. So that was already a thing. Um, in Paris, there was already the Moulin Rouge. There was uh, there were all the shows. There's the, the Moulin Rouge, and then there was uh, the Lido that came. And the Lido came just around wartime in, in, in Paris. But um, that was also mafia time. So the Lido originally was was a part of that whole thing world with Vegas. And eventually, what happened was in the in was it the 50s? I think it was maybe 50s. I think it was the 50s. The Lido had exported their showgirls from Paris to Las Vegas to start opening up the shows at the Stardust. So yeah. that's where it became no, it was no longer burlesque. The new, the toplessness was maybe in the feathers, maybe were part of the side of burlesque, but Paris brought the, the lines, the choreography, the movement, the headpieces, the, brought the actual thing to Vegas. So Vegas would not have what it has as showgirls if it was not for the Lido. It was the Lido 
and not just Lido. It was the Lido. It was also um, the Moulin Rouge, and there's another one that was at Tropicana. Follies Bergere. There we go. The Follies as well. All those shows in Paris. So that was it. That was it. Which also came, which was a connection between the movie musicals as well. I have to say, I'm really impressed because you're a relatively young man, and you know more than I think a lot of the people are like I when I'm 20 I kind of knew some of this stuff and it wasn't until later that we have more available I'm like I wish I had yeah. been able to really live into the to that of what, what it, it was all those relationships that I've had with older dancers and, it, and that's what it is and when I was in Jubilee it was that relationship I had with Jillian and Stuart and they told me all these amazing these stories and Catherine these people that told me those, that information. So I learned bits and pieces of it and then going on Toledo. And like I said, the Pierre Rambert, who was the last assistant of Bluebell, who eventually became the artistic director of, well, the, the company manager and then into artistic director at Toledo, who's no longer there, really became, during my experience at Toledo, like a, a father figure, because I, I don't have a father. So he really had become a father figure, a best friend, a brother, all different aspects of, a relationship, I suppose. And we spent a lot of time talking about stories, the stories he told me about Bluebell, the stories about the history. I mean, so much information. Jeremy is well with us. He was also a part of that passion for the information. And it will disappear yeah. this, if, it's, if my generation, who is at the tail end of it, doesn't continue it. It will disappear. I mean, Vegas doesn't have showgirls anymore. It's, it's gone. Yeah. You know, the, those girls you see on the street corner, uh, yeah. <laughs> those aren't showgirls. No. <laughs> those when are I see not their, their hair hanging down, like, through the headpiece, I'm like, oh, no, no. <sighs> it's just awful. It's just awful. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's the, and, and it's the importance of it. And there's people like Jeremy who, in, oh, I'm coming after Jeremy. So, yeah, so everyone's probably going to have heard Jeremy. That boy really is the holding that key. He is so passionate about everything that is musical that he he is the one that can carry it over, I think. He's very special. Oh, yeah. Well, I see him on all the groups that are more of the older. He's on all those. Actually, I have a funny story. Can I tell you a funny story about Jeremy? Yeah. Sorry, Jeremy. So, uh, so Jeremy is my gay daughter. I, am, I call him um, Tina Darling and I'm Mommy Dearest. <laughs> 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 of course, but the funny story about Jeremy and how much, how passionate he is about this stuff. So when we were at Toledo, when I was at Toledo, we all came into work, all the cast saying, did you get that friend invite on Facebook? Did you get that friend invite? All of a sudden, this random 16-year-old French kid had sent all of us invites on, on Facebook. And, none, and he was 16, nobody knew what the skill was. Who the hell is this guy? So anyway, we all added him or whatever, but he was learning and obsessed with our already when he was 16. And so then flash forward a couple of years, we backstage hear the gossip. Remember that guy? Remember that guy? He was coming into the show. <laughs> so oh my gosh. So then that crazy kid ended up being in the show. And now, I mean, he's been passionate about what he does since he was 16, if not even before that, I don't even know. And that's like that dream come true. And then yeah. you, you're, you're in France, you've always wanted to. When you were doing the show, did you get out and see the yeah. country? You got to really appreciate where you were living? I didn't do a lot of, um, I came to Paris with debt, as Americans do. So yeah. I came, so I wasn't really able to do all of the traveling to different countries necessarily. But my husband, who I met, I was with my husband, I think the majority of the time I was in Paris, for the most part. 
and then of course he's French and I'm very close with his family. So through, I was lucky because of having that relationship. They are every, they take two vacations a year, just like every French person. And, and they would take us, I, we always went on vacation with them. So they would go to certain regions within France for everything, every vacation and do all the things in that region. So I was very lucky. And, and I also felt very lucky to be in the Lido especially after I knew more about it, because the Lido is, is a part of the culture of France. It's not just a show in France. The closest thing we have is the Rockettes, but it's still not quite there still. There's something that is so special for French people with the Lido um, that not only was I experiencing France, but I was also a part of its culture. I, was, I, was, oh. I had become a part of of it i wasn't just in a show in france i was a part of it was just it was really a great thing and i'll never forget as well before i forget i wanted to say this as well the story the first time i'll never forget my first show in paris and i knew i was in paris because i was in the we were all birds in the beginning of the show and i remember the music would start we're all in our starting position starting to flap our wings and all of the champagne bottles started to pop Oh. And so you hear the music building into it. We're flapping our wings and you just hear pop, 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 pop. And then the, 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 of course the audience is so excited to see the Lido because it's such a big deal that these people come to see the Lido that that clap happens. And I'm, I'll never forget that feeling that I said to myself in my head, this is Paris. This is, this is, yeah. this is. it was amazing. It was, it really was amazing. Yeah. The Lido oh was amazing. So you're, how, which, you were in, I don't, I'm going to say it wrong, bon, what's the, how do you I say it? I was in Bonheur, I was in Bonheur, so Bonheur means happiness in France, and so that show was created by Pierre Rambert, that was his, his, his show, and it's basically a story of happiness, it was basically a going through, was a, kind of abstract in a way, but going through its version of happiness, um, and of course, it had, that was the last show that really had the structure of Music Hall, which was four, four sections with three um, acts in between the sections. And each section is very different. Um, at the Lido, it's very specific that they have to have one tableau section of the show that has a big elevator spinning thing. That's always one of the things. And then Lido actually in French means uh, beach water plage so there has to be a, a water fountain so then that's always and also a section and that there's always some sort of a water fountain thing that happens so those are the two things that are very specific so that was also great that i was a part of that original structure of the show still a part of that original structure of that type yeah i've learned more from you in this interview <laughs> yeah this is so good like that why we do that because i'm actually doing a show when things can come back and open but I, the whole thing is i want it to be champagne i want to get dressed up and i put it together kind of unintentionally with four without the acts in between but definitely four segments mm -hmm. because that's the whole way of all the shows was mm -hmm. you go backstage for this they reset and now you're in another another yeah. story and i think it you know so different like with our shows for the studio it's like show you know number 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 doesn't have, doesn't have to go together we go on a ride up and down with mm -hmm. energy but not the same as we're going to transport you somewhere and now let that go now we're mm. going to go somewhere else and no that was really that was really fascinating of why yeah. those things work too because you can immerse yourself in it okay go yeah on. and they always had as well within those four four tableaus there's always the one that is exotic there's always the one that takes you somewhere else not just a show 
it yeah. would go like for me and Bonel, it was India. We went to India. So we had an elephant and we had uh, all the things. I mean, I had uh, my giant headpiece with a big uh, elephant mask. I was um, Baba Ganesh or whatever. Some, I mean, we had the dervish girls that were topless with their hair. I mean, you always, you have that moment of being transported. Jubilee, it was going to Samson and Delilah, that you're transported into this fantasy world. Um, other ones, the leader, I think there's the Aztecs with the, the um, Bravissimo, I think it was. So yeah, you're always, there, there was always a point of transportation. Also with the Lido, it was really specific. Um, which is different than the Moulin Rouge because, of course, three main shows in Paris are the Moulin Rouge, the Lido, and then the Crazy, Crazy Horse. Um, and all of them are really different in their entities, specifically. But um, as far as shows that are similar to the Moulin Rouge and the Lido, and the, the Moulin Rouge, the girls are very, a little bit more like um, Rockettes, very, very... There's a specific look, there's a specific line, there's a specific size. In, at the Lido, it was exotic. It was about being more sexy. So there's different shapes, different size chests, different ethnicities, different colors of hair even. It, there's always, it was exotic. So there's always somebody for something for some everybody, somebody for somebody in the audience to be attracted to. Because that's the whole idea of, I remember Fluff said this, and I don't remember the exact words, but um, I think she actually has it on an interview somewhere. But it's almost, to be a showgirl, it's almost like you're giving, you're up there showing them what they can have, but they can't quite have it. Yes. <laughs> they can't quite have it. And they see what they want. The audience see what they want. And they see that glamour, but they can't quite have what they want. And so that draws you into mm. that story. It also makes it safer as a female to be able to have that without having it. Yeah, preyed yeah. upon. <laughs> that power. That power. Yeah, there's thing of that, yeah, to have that power. But. And the play as well. I mean, those girls, I mean, in Paris, those girls, I swear, those the most beautiful girls in the world. The, 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 I, when I think, I have a picture of, um, we did a photo shoot, and um, it's a, just a picture of the girls on this lotus flower on top of our fountain, and they're just in a pose. And I look at that picture, and these women are the most beautiful, beautiful women I've ever seen in my life. And I, and I have to pinch myself and say, did I really dance with these? I mean, we're talking people who do fashion week and they're also dancers and they were at the, the Paris Opera Ballet. I mean, amazing, beautiful creatures. Yeah. And, they, and, and the way they, like speaking of the woman being in control, the women, the way that they play with the audience, I mean, there's one girl, Laura Canduso. That girl, she is a tiger. And she will just look you, I mean, she can just look you right through that person. It's that sexy girl. It's just magical. I mean, that control, that power that these, these girls get to have on stage. It's incredible. It's an empowerment, yeah. Yeah. And what's yeah. great as well is it's not about the boys. <laughs> yeah. It's not about the boys. The boys are there just to present the girls. It's always, it's been about that. And actually, um, when we talk about the new show and how there's in Paris and there's a big change of the dynamic of it, not better, not worse, but definitely a big change. Um, I, Laura Pricer, she was one of the principals, the last principals at the original, well, not original, but the before the revamp, Bam Jubilee. And uh, she had come to see the show in the new show. And she, I believe she had seen the old show maybe or maybe she didn't see the old show, but she's very a part of the whole world as well. 
And she said the difference between what had happened with the new show and traditional showgirl shows is it always used to be about the girls. It is, it should, it's always about the girls. It's everything that's, every backpack or headpiece or stage thing back or lighting, it's about the girls. It's about making the girls that much more whatever. Um, and in the new show right now, it's just kind of swapped a little bit. The, all the other things like the feathers, it's, those are just helping accentuate. But now it's reversed. It's kind of about the technology, the screens and all that beauty and the girls are there accentuating that. You know what I mean? So it's a little bit of a reverse switch, not better, not worse, anything like that, but there was a difference. So speaking of that, that empowerment as well, it was always about the girls. It was always about the girls. So being a male dancer, how are you with that? Like, Hey, what about me? (laughs) No, no. Cause I was always pretty, like when I was in Jubilee, I was a full swing. So I was always pretty active doing things. I was, I did, principal swing, I was, um, I did, sm- not smoke, I did um, top hat, as well as the, I can't remember now, but, um, yeah, I lost my thought completely. Anyway, what well, is uh, interesting, I'm just thinking, that, like, as a girl, there's so many girls, and there's not as many guys, right. so when you grow oh, up in the dance world, there's the boy, and he gets to be front and center, which we just know that's how the world works, and there's nothing, like you said, it's, it's just how it yeah. is, and then to have it switch, and now, like, there's, the boys but you're not the front and center which you know sometimes yeah. I, I can see what you're saying and I think that there's probably a lot of boys for sure for me I don't know for me I didn't really I, I think at Jubilee I was so busy with other things that, that I mean I did a different track every day sometimes within the show my track would change so I was very preoccupied and actually at Bono as well in at the Lido because Pierre Ambert was a showboy as well at in the 70s yeah, the seventh seconds movie started. He he he's a fantastic. I mean, he's a technician. That guy, he's phenomenal. He was one of the principals at Leo as well, but forever ago. But um, it was really important for him in his show that he created that the boys also had a voice. So yeah. when I was in Paris, the boys in in the the way it was established in Paris with that show. Um, as far as the boys are concerned, we had the A boys and the B boys. The A boys were the tall boys. We did a lot of stuff with the principals and we did a lot of, a lot of the lifting. And then the B boys were a little bit shorter. So when we say size wise, short for the boys was between like six foot and six four. And oh, tall for the boys was between like six four and six six. So we were huge, like Russians. We're talking huge Russians. Um, so there was the, that, that, and usually the B-boys danced a little bit more. So the Moulin Rouge called my line the showboys and the other line the dancers. But that's, that's basically oh. what it was. So we did have a voice. I mean, in the last show that I was in, Bonneau and Lido, I was doing double torn layer in boots and a wig. I mean, and <laughs> it was hard. We were, and yeah. we were doing, I mean, grand jeté, triple pirouettes. And when I say I was doing those, this is my boot. That's the heel I was doing a double tour on Laren. Wow. I mean, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it's like you rehearse in the studio and then like, oh, now put this on. But I do like Hello Hollywood. I feel like the guys had a good, they had a good track. I mean, it was about yeah. the girl. I feel like the guys really did, they did some good hard, hard dancing. So it wasn't like you were just a prop. Cause I feel like even in the ballet world sometimes, like you're like, <laughs> you were the one that moves her around. But I feel like the guys did get to do some. Yeah. Some, some good so, I was really happy with my track. I liked it. Yeah. So 
we talked, this is one thing that's, that comes up in a lot of the interviews, like, okay, well, did you end on purpose or injury? Like everybody has their stories of why their career. So I did not end on purpose at all. So my career, and, and this is, gets very specific about, and I'll try to do it kind of quickly about the uh, politics in Paris. So there's two different types of contracts, a contract with an end date, a contract without an end date. After a year and a half on a contract with an end date, you automatically get transferred over into the other ones by French law. So basically there's no end date to your career. So everybody just kind of waits out their careers for the most part, which is not obviously not a great thing to do. So um, in the end, I, when they do the new show, it's a really good opportunity to kind of clean house and change the dynamic of shows and they're able to basically change the cast basically when you are on these long-term contracts it's very hard to be fired but this is kind of a, an easy chance to be fired so i was a part of three quarters of the cast of bono that had gotten let go because of our age because of what type of contracts we were on um also because of the way they're, they're specifics that they didn't see in us within the show um which were their reasons for cutting us through but as far as my career is concerned that was how i ended and i knew i, I knew it was going to come to an end and i remember um after the auditions had all been redone there it was being said that the showboy thing is over and so for me knowing that they basically saw me as a showboy nobody knew in paris about my life as a hollywood dancer people didn't know that i had that that i was that type of dancer at the base that's who i am Eventually, I became a showboy, and I step-touched, and I presented, and I did all those things. But at the base, I'm still that dancer. And, and um, I knew right off the bat that that was going to be it. And, and to be fair as well, when I, I – it was Jeremy's birthday, and they were doing the creation of the new shows. And um, I had basically stayed very far – all of us had basically stayed pretty far away from what was going on because it was – Difficult, not difficult. There's a lot of drama going on that was kind of crazy drama. So it was, everybody was kind of a free for all. But I went to go to his birthday and of course the new cast was there with him. And I saw all the boys. There's no way I would have belonged in that show at all. I mean, I said that to my husband. They, I didn't look anything like them anymore. I mean, it really was a change. They all looked very uh, Mediterranean. They were all very much the same size, all beautiful. Well, the boys are always really good looking. Great dancers as well. but. Just by looking at them, I said, there's no way I could have been in this line. There's no way I could have been in this line. So my career at Toledo ended that way, um, which was very, which was not so hard for me to get through because I was going back to Jubilee. So that was, and I was, I'm good friends, I was good friends with Diane, and Diane was trying to see if there would be a position open for me in the new show. Eventually there was a position. Um, I was confirmed for the contract a week and a half after I was confirmed was when Flefrico died, who was the, the grand dame of Jubilee forever. And then about what was a, a few days after she died, they announced that they were closing the show. So right there, pre-read. And then when, and then I thought I still hadn't, I mean, I didn't want to necessarily leave Paris, but I, I, that was happening regardless I was leaving Paris, but I still thought I'd find something on the strip, but it's just not really it anymore. I mean, everything had changed so much from when I was, I mean, I lived in Paris for almost 10 years. Everything had changed. Everything had changed. And, and I had become an older dancer and I didn't realize it. All of a sudden that process started happening and I didn't really I didn't realize it. 
So then I came here to Vegas and my career just fizzled out. I did a few little gigs here and there, but nothing really. I went into uh, judging for Encore. Uh, Karen Moore is a very good friend of mine um, through my whole career. And um, so I went back to there. It wasn't really a fit for me. Uh, and so that was it. That was really it. My career, and, and like we were saying before we started videotaping, it was like I was watching my career go through my fingers. It was like sand. And no matter what I did, it wasn't going to change the fact that my career was ending. So it was like, hold on. This is it. Figure something else out. Oh, yeah. oh. I just, I'll, so, I have an awful image. I'm thinking in the scene in the Titanic when it tips. And you're like, oh, <laughs> uh, we're going down, but how long can we hang on before there's no more holding on? Yeah. It, it, it's sad. Like, I, I uh, like you had a good long career. Like, that's, I feel yes. like when I saw I'm, people make their 30s, I thought that was remarkable. But to, to be 40, but it still doesn't negate the fact that we never feel that old, except for when our body hurts. But, like, when you see the young ones coming in, like, but that that was me and now like to actually have that it was weird. really weird it was really weird because i didn't i really even when i moved back here it it was really weird it was just really weird and i actually I, I ended up getting a job as a dresser um i knew one of the state um company managers in vegas the show so he was able to get me a job even though i've never done anything like that just so that when i got back from paris i would have a job which was like amazing but it was crazy i mean having been in Lido, and this makes me sound like an asshole, I know, I'm very conceited, which I don't mean to, but when you're in Paris, they build your you up because it's a very important thing that you're a part of in Paris. So then all of a sudden, I was dealing with a younger generation of dancers that I was horrified by. They would walk out of their pants without their hands. Like, you know how you can just kind of walk out of your pants and <laughs> leave them on the floor take their phones and just walk away from their pants, sit down in a chair and text and expect their dresser to pick things up. It was so shocking. And I, and I remember coming home, I come home so often, it was so hard. And I kept saying to my husband, I just want to get a shirt made that said, I used to be a dancer at the Lido. Because the amount you all of a sudden felt like we were so special. All dancers are so special. All dancers feel special, but I was the Lido, I was so special in Paris. So pick up your own pick up my clothes. Pick right. up your clothes. I mean it was it was really a big slap in the face. It was crazy. It well, was a crazy end of my career. <laughs> yeah. And it's like it like the whole thing with the fingers, it's like you're seeing it going and like do you can you salvage or not? And and then even come back without the same kind of community. Cause now like you left what was your home in Paris, your family, and now you're somewhere else. I think to really honor the heartaches, I feel like we want to always skip by that when people are going, oh, wait, this, I think I might still be grieving. And this is some of us, you yeah. know, you, a lot of people chose it. Like if it was like, you know, you're going to have children, you're going to walk away for different reasons. But a lot of times your end chooses you. Yeah. So and how? It was, and, and, and really, and to add to it, when I was in Paris, I remember I was, I had already given my notice that I was leaving Jubilee, which is actually its own ridiculous story because I'm always very rigid when it comes to rules. I like rules. I like to stick to rules. And um, I had just re-auditioned for Jubilee and have, had made it into Jubilee. Again, it was my last audition with them. And then that, the next day, I flew to Paris for a private audition in Toledo. And you have until Thursday, the audition is on Sunday at Jubilee, and you have until Thursday to say yes or no. So I had my audition, I went to Paris, I had my audition the next day, they offered me the job that day, 
I had to make the decision. Am I going to say no to Julie? So I said no to Julie. I called. I made a phone call. I spoke to Fluff. I spoke to Diane. So I made sure I got in there on the date of the Thursday. And um, it ended up taking five months for my contract to go through in Paris. And I started panicking. I really started panicking, like, oh, my God, what have I done here? And I remember going to, to Edge and talking to Bill. And Bill said to me, you've already committed. You've already said you're going to do this. You need to go. You need to go do your six month contract and then just come back and just come back. And so that's, it was very scary because I didn't know what was going on. It was a big leap of faith. So I moved to Paris. I started the experience. It was amazing. It was magical. It was all the things that it was. But I still held very true to me being an American the first couple years on how we work as dancers, how we are as in that because the answer, American dancers are so strong, it's very specific in how we're trained. And um, I lost my thought again. Sorry. So <laughs> 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 happens. Well, I think like the transitioning out of coming back to this this world that's not. Oh, quite that's right. So I had really let go of that. I had I had to let go of that person if I was going to be successful and happy in Paris. So eventually, I did. And I thought that was where my life was going to be. So I mean, everything. I changed everything. I mean, that was my life. Those were my friends. Those were my family. That was my home. And it's still my home. And now, and that's still, for me, Paris is still my home. One day, my husband and I will go back. Those people are still the most important people. I mean, it's, it's, it's still what it is. But um, it was hard to come. I mean, imagine being an American or whatever, going to a different country, adapting and becoming that other thing, and then going back to your original country and thinking, oh my God, I sh this all should feel very natural, but none of this feels natural. None of this, I can't even connect to any of this. It's just not because I let it go. I just let it go because I had thought that this was going to be my, my thing. My, my, my normal was France. So it was definitely, it was just a big shock. It was a big shock coming back. It was a big shock coming back to the country. It was a big shock watching my career leave and not being able to do anything about it, knowing that I had made this huge decision to come here, wondering if my career would have been over had I not left. Um, and just not getting that option, not getting to sit, not getting to make the choice. I will, I, and it's hard when you, I mean, I had a very successful 20 year career. I, I, like we were saying before, I never had to get a job at Starbucks. I never had to be a waiter. I, I was always able to work as a dancer. I was very lucky that I was always able to work as a dancer. And, it's just that big slap in the face when you come back to your home country and all of a sudden it's all just changed. It's just not there. Yeah. So it's, it's a big, it's a big, it's a big thing. And like we were saying, I mean, this big thing of our careers changing, everybody goes through and it's not talked about enough. Yeah. yeah. It's not talked about enough because it's hard. It's hard. I mean, there's been plenty of dancers that have been lost from suicide in their forties because they just, I mean, we as dancers in general, but then especially when you are added to something like Lido, where you're, it's a form of celebrity in a way, kind of, just because of the culture of it all. To have that feeling of being special and just ripping it away from you, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's a big transition. Yeah. yeah. And it's very important that us as dancers as well, that we support each other. Yeah. And talk about it and like, say, this is harder because there's not really any preparation. Like, you said like you weren't, you didn't go to school to go, I'll have a backup. I remember my parents like, you have to have a backup plan. Like, no, because then I won't go for it. And 
even the thing go when you're young because dancers have a really short shelf life like do it now if you go to school you're gonna be too old at you know 22 to get a job so you know you get encouraged to go out there and pursue this early but then there is no your whole yeah. heart been in it there's I know people yeah. go to school like sometimes they'll do the show at night and they'll go to school because the show is kind of their catalyst for their thing yeah. but when but being a dancer if that is your whole heart's desire you're not I mean, I did not, I did not, and it was not through ego, it was through stupidity or ignorance. I literally did not think my career was going to end. I just didn't think it was going to end. Not because I was the most amazing dancer on the planet, just because it never crossed my mind because I never had to think about it. I, always, I was always working. So why would I think, what am I going to do? And I did when I, when I went to Paris. I did, I did do a, um, it's called a CDI, uh, not a CDI, it's called a SIF, where, I mean, and that goes along with living in Paris and working, it's phenomenal, the amount of social things that you get. They paid for me to go to work, and they paid for my school for six months, and I didn't have to go to school, I didn't have to go to work. <laughs> it was oh, great. Really? So I actually became a pastry chef, which I did not want to do in the end, it, it was not for me, but um, I kind of had ideas that I needed to have something, but never a concrete thought of, I need to, I need to have something because I just never had to think about it. I know a lot as well that I was writing off of toward the beginning of my career. I was so involved in Edge and LADF that I had assumed when my career was over, I would still work for LADF because I didn't, you don't know any different. And then of course, yeah. LADF doesn't exist anymore. I, I literally, when I was a young dancer, I always thought that that's where I would end. I would always end back at Edge because that was such an important part of my, it's, it's the foundation of my everything is Edge. Um, so I always thought I would go back there, but life takes you away and then it just doesn't have all those things. So I literally just did not, I was not, I don't even want to say I wasn't prepared because it wasn't a not prepared. I didn't know. I didn't know that that was actually a thing where your career will end and you will have to do something else for more time. And this is the important thing. The second job you get after your dance career is longer than your dance career. So that job is still, you have to find something else that you like because that job is going to be what you're going to do the majority of your life, your working life. And that's the craziest yeah. part. You only love dancing, but you don't get to have it forever. Yeah. I like, I think we were saying to some people come back and they'll take class. And for some, it's hard to be around it because it's a reminder no. that you can't do it how you used to do it or it doesn't feel the same. Um, and I think even when your identity is taken away, it's hard to just like, oh, I'm still a dancer. Like, no, I've been told I'm not a dancer anymore. Yeah. And then you see it continue to move as it does so quickly, the, the, the entertainment business. And you, you see that even that slight pause that you took blew you out. And I'll say, and I know, and now that I'm on the outside of my career as well, on, I, I know where I fucked up. I know, I know what killed my career. What killed my career was staying at the Lido for too long. The thing that is so unique about dancers and so special, truly special about dancers, is how creative, and we talked about this before as well, how creative we are in survival. We are always able to figure it out. And it's a very specific um, tool that we have in the side of our brain that we'll figure it out. We'll figure out how to make this happen. 
But then you go to a show like the Lido where they're paying for all your makeup, Mac makeup. Your Metro is being paid for, half of your Metro is being paid for. Your healthcare is for, like free. You're living this comfortable and the pay is, and was really good for a dancer. It was really good. So of course you stay forever, but I lost that skill. It wasn't the fact that I wasn't necessarily taking class anymore that I lost that skill to figure out what the next step is because I got too comfortable. Mm. I got too comfortable at the Lido. And I'm so thankful I did stay there for as long as I did because I have so many amazing memories and the love that I have of those people and my friends that will be my friends forever, that will be my my warriors. That, I mean, I always call them my warriors because of a lot of the drama that I have to deal with. I know that they'll always be there to, to be there for me. but. Um, yeah crazy well and then there's something i always say when we talk about it like i don't know what i recorded what was earlier because the conversations have been really fun yeah. but as a dancer too when you're hurting physically you on with the show the show must go on so if you're in pain you somehow can like not feel it because the adrenaline and then you feel it when you get off stage so we've been trained to push through physically right. i really do believe it carries into us emotionally yeah like if you're hurting it's like it's all about that razzle dazzle and 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 this is in everybody who knows me that is listening to this from no matter which part of my whether it was my my hollywood life my ship life my vegas life my paris life and we talked about this before my i i i've always had a very heavy depression i think it's very important that it's discussed amongst dancers because of exactly what you're saying we learn how to mask everything. It's, it is our job. <laughs> it is our job to make, every, to make it look good and to, to, to take ourselves out of the equation, to do what yeah. we're told, to be, to be emotionless, but have emotion. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. And so we're trained to be, to, to get through that. And you get to a certain point where it really has worn down. And all those people that know me my whole career, I have had depression. My whole career. Heavy, heavy, heavy. And there's a few people who know that. There's a, few, there's a handful of people that know that. But most, most people don't know that. Most people, and, I mean, if you, literally, if you ask any of those people, the people know me. My original signature when I was signing T-shirts at Tremaine was a smiley face. Everybody knew me for my smile and having fun and being crazy and having energy. Blah. Inside, it was very, very, very rough for me. So that when it got to this point, and it, the thing that held me up, it, that's the thing. Dancing held me up. Dancing was my, my strength. Because it wasn't me. Yeah. It was somebody else. So you take that away, and where, where does that leave you? And, and, and the thing is, I am not the only person. I am one of many people who have suffered and dealt with depression through their, their, their careers. And then they have to deal with what do we do next? So it's so important. It's just so important for the young dancers out there to have an idea. And even, and this is the thing, even if it's not, you're not sure, or it may not be something that you love, you need to try other, um, uh, not other skills, but other things you enjoy along the way. You have to, you have to consciously not, and it's not about just taking dance class. You need to be establishing what else do I like? It doesn't even have to be a heavy thought. It doesn't even have to be a thought of this is what my career is going to be, 
but you have to start thinking of what else you like because the only thing my whole life that I've ever loved, truly, forevermore, was dancing, as if it's a thing. So mm -hmm. you need to figure out what else you like because one day, unfortunately, what you love isn't going to be there to support you anymore. You need to love, maybe not love, but like something else very strongly. You know, it's, it's like an it, interesting life. Yeah. It's like it's a death. It's a death mm -hmm. that needs to be grieved. And I feel like if people don't know that world, it's hard to be with you in it. And the fact mm -hmm. that even that you could be doing the thing you want to do more in the wor world and and still have depression. So it doesn't mean like, oh, when I get to this thing, I'm going to be happy. It's like, even yeah. in that, if you suffer with that, I feel like we're talking about those things more now than before. But yeah. even this podcast, I feel like there's this thing that we get to celebrate the beauty and the friendships and the relationships, but also like, what does it mean when this identity that has been you is no longer yeah. there? And, and as well in my situation, and I know it's also with a lot of people's, a lot of kids now situation and us kids from before i had a lot of i had issues as a child with with some parts of my family not not everything wasn't the worst thing ever but i just had some serious issues going on on the side that um when i started dancing at the young age that is what got me through that and there's so many dancers young kids that are dealing secretly dealing with things and also going to dance class. And it's that dance class that makes them, that they look forward to, that, yeah. that gets them to where they need to be. And that was what it was for me. Though, I mean, I, I mean, I had so much fun when I was dancing, I did. And then of course, when I started doing Tremaine, my senior year, I was at school, I went to 12 cities with Tremaine, I was at school four days a week, and then I got to go off and by myself on the weekend, be with my best friend, Carla. And I mean, it's, it started to support me very young. So yeah. it, it became what I relied on very young. And so that's all I saw through it. But it's so important that those kids out there that are feeling those things or going through those things, that they know that they have to like something else. Because no matter who you are, no matter how talented you are, it's going to end. Mm. And that's the part I didn't get and I didn't, or I didn't listen to, or I, didn't, I was too ignorant to hear. It is going to end. And, and you may have a great career as a choreographer. Actually, and this is, this is great for you young people as well. The progression of what happens. I feel like when we're young dancers in America, there's a lot of us. <laughs> there's a lot of us, uh -huh. we all wanna be dancers. And then we all start to try to be professional and then there's a big cut and it gets smaller. And then there's only a certain part of that group of people that were able, lucky enough really, to have a, a career. And so those careers start with that whole group of people. And maybe those careers, it gets to a point of maybe five years, 10 years, and there's another drop off. Boof. And then that group gets smaller. And then you get to people like me who had successful dance careers for 20 years, and then all of a sudden it dropped off. It gets even smaller. So the jobs out there for the people, we already know that there's very far and few jobs for dancers, especially now. I think that it's getting even, there's even less for us now. But um, as we go down in the, oh, I just lost my thought again. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it was good where it was going. I know. I totally lost it. What was I saying? What it was, was like, last? just when it starts to, to drop, it's dropping off. Oh, shit. Mm. Oh, shit. 
Hold they on. Love part, we'll have to do part two. <laughs> so we need to do part two. And actually, can we do a part two so I can go into the potty real fast? <laughs> we're gonna, we have to, we're going to be the end of this one because we already okay. went beyond yes. because I thought because yes. um, But we could do part two or we can even do some notes in the podcast. Yes. But what I want to say, which was so beautiful of, of connecting with you, is that I love the expression both and that there is, you are so grateful for your career, which I feel like, you know, people can be jaded or whatever, even the, even how it ended, there is a, a gratitude that's beautiful and also, and it was really hard and it was really sad. I feel like if we can do both, right. we can be more real artists, we can be more real people and we can actually like help each other to know we're not alone in these things. And so I think that with this podcast, the reunions, the, the Facebook groups, finding our people, and yeah. no one's like, oh, I'm 100 and I'm still doing the show. We're all like, I, you know, <laughs> I like to watch movies of dancing, but I can't do it anymore. So I think. I remember where I was at. Sorry, reverse, okay. reverse, reverse. So the, the careers start to drop off. They start to drop off. They start to drop off. And when you get to where I'm at, at 40 years old and having had a 20 year career, oh, there's a cat in the background. The only jobs that are left are jobs for choreographers, jobs for producers, jobs for um, assistants in big shows. But that group is so small. I thought that I was going to be just eventually be, go into those things naturally. But yeah. no, mine ended it when it ended. You have to remember that even though that might be the end point, the chances get narrower and narrower and narrower until you get to the point that you have those few names like Mandy Moore, um, Brian Freeman, those, those people, it's, it's pulled slowly down and now it's a very narrow specific. So you have to like something else because the positions that you want to get to at the very end of your career, there's very, 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 very few, very few. We're talking a handful. Yeah. So that's where I was, that's when I got lost. No. Anyway, was, it was yeah. a magical time and I'm very, very thankful for the career that I had and I'm very very thankful for the friendships that I've made and I'm most thankful really the greatest I've, I've been very lucky I had so many points in my career that were very unique and very special but the music world the music show the Lido the, the Jubilee it, it's it was such an amazing time mm. it was such an amazing for all of us no matter what generation you were to be able to be on stage and be glamorous yeah and be able to be all those things, confident and feel sexy. And I mean, th those shows are fantastic. And we got to get those shows back. Yeah. Well, I'm opening one in Seattle and I would take a 40 year old showboy that's six feet tall. I got some tall girls, but even like <laughs> that, maybe inspire some of us, like how can we make it not obviously Don Arden scale because nobody right. has that. But yeah. maybe there is something of this nod because we, we like pretty soon people are going to want blockbuster because there's a nostalgia, like, you know, the things yeah. that are gone, we're going to go, oh, I wish we still had that in its right time. It doesn't have to come back as what it was. It come back with that, what was yeah. the beautiful part that still translates into this, you know, this yeah. time. And I feel like there's a lot of creative people that are, maybe get motivated. Like, how do, how do we keep this alive? It's like the Fosse dancers, you know, they're, yeah. they're, yeah, they're getting older. Like, who's still teaching that style before that style is no longer around? Yeah. I love Steve, that. This was fabulous. I would just, I want to hang out and go out for coffee or yeah. drinks. Um, if I come to Vegas, I'm looking you up. I'll buy you a drink. That's what I'm telling everybody. I'm going to go visit everybody. And then yeah. I have this whole new. I would love to. Yeah. And the next reunion that happens, we're all going to be like, oh, I know you. Yeah. So stay well and healthy. And I hope we get to get back to work soon. A little quickly. You. 
Pilates instructor, so you are keeping in that that whole thing with the body and wellness. All right, I will now call you. Uh, it was so good seeing you. It's been so long. It's so good seeing you. Bye. And I'm going to tell Sari I talked to you. Okay. <laughs>